0: episode of Some Digressions. Today, I'm gonna take you through a few stories about... trucks. My favorite subject of the moment. I'm kidding. I don't know. (laughs) Trucks! (laughs) Here, coming at you, driving towards you from all over the country. Trucks, trucks, trucks. Have fun. the last few weeks the last couple of months have proven to be the most significant time for trucking since I would guess maybe 1987 when the movie Over the Top starring Sylvester Stallone came out now for those of you who do not know uh, over the top is the story of a young boy who whose parents separated maybe 10 years before the story takes place he's 10 years old oh my god is he 10 I can't remember if he's 10 his parents have been separated for 10 years and, uh, well, the, the movie starts with him at a military academy. Already, you know, a red flag. Am I going to like this kid? He is a future soldier. I don't know. So, you know, but he's a kid. So, you know, you can't hold it too much against him. There must be some family influence to why he's attending a military academy anyway. Who shows up to pick him up at the end of the year? No one else, none other than his father. Mm-hmm. Little Michael is like, Who the fuck is this guy? I don't have a father. But it turns out he does. And then his father is Sylvester Stallone, who is a trucker who shows up in a giant red truck <laughs> to pick him up. Now, unbeknownst to Michael, his mom. Catherine, who is sick with a heart condition, uh, she wants him, she wants his father, who played by Sylvester Stallone, but in the movie he's called Lincoln Hawk. That's the actual name of the character, Lincoln Hawk. She wants Little Hawk. To form a relationship with Big Hawk. And her way of fostering this meeting, this uh, reconnection, I guess, is to have Lincoln Hawk drive his son, little Michael, uh, from Colorado, from the military academy in Colorado, all the way home to her in California and yeah that, that's <laughs> one of the first things that happens is that um, <laughs> Lincoln Hawk takes his son to a truck stop <laughs> and truck stops as everybody knows are filled to the brim with drinking uh, with hard drinking truckers at all times so it's like the middle of the afternoon and it goes into this bar truck stop bar and right away somebody challenges him to challenges Lincoln Hawk to an arm wrestling competition and well <laughs> we didn't know this at the start of the movie we thought it was just you know a regular Joe trucking dad. Um but no. He is also an arm wrestling athlete. And <laughs> Little Michael's confused by the whole fucking thing. He's like, what the hell's going on? Is this Is this really my dad? Why I, I am like a future military brass guy What am i doing hanging out with this trucker hi why do i have trucker jeans uh how the hell did that happen while this is happening uh catherine's father little michael's grandfather who is this super rich guy uh, who hates lincoln hawk he's also depressed about his grandson having trucker jeans um he's livid about the whole situation and he he wants his grandson back so little hawk and big hawk they continue on driving all the way from colorado to california numerous stops along the way they bond they you know they form like a father-son relationship that that they've obviously both been longing for forever uh lincoln Mr. Hawk has been in touch with Catherine uh, all this time. It seems this ten years, in some capacity, because he's got photos of Michael and his mom and Catherine all over his truck. So there's, you know, he 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 had to have been in touch with her, even if he wasn't in touch with Michael. And well, by the t- when when they get to California they realize that that Catherine has died from her heart condition. And Michael uh, gets angry at Lincoln Hawk because he feels like if they had only gotten there sooner, he could have seen his mom one last time. And Lincoln is Anyway, he's all over the place. You know, he, he, he's happy to be bonding with his son again, but his son hates him now. And it's, it's a mess of confusion and emotions. And the grandfather, the rich grandfather comes in and he's like, it's better if Michael stays with me. I want full custody of the kid. And Lincoln gets mad, doesn't want to give up his son that he just reconnected with. So he tries to take his son back by driving his truck through the gates to the mansion of the grandfather and he gets thrown in jail and Michael eventually forgives him. He says, you know, Dad, I understand. Dad, he calls him Dad now. He's like, you know, I understand what you did. But I think it's better if I stay with my rich grandpa rather than your poor truck driving ass. So that's what happens. And the grandpa says to Lincoln Hawk, he's like, you know what? I won't press any charges about the the gate that you ran over. I'll drop him all, as long as you sign over full custody of Michael to me. And Lincoln Hawk, he's confused, doesn't know what to do, but eventually relents, because, you know, his freedom, and he wants what's best for Michael, and it seems like Michael wants to stay with his grandpa, so he agrees. And then he takes his truck... And there's a big arm-wrestling competition happening in Las Vegas, so that's where he goes. And while he's on his way there, uh, Michael realizes that the reason why his parents split in the first place is because his grandfather interfered in their relationship. And... Lincoln Hawk was writing letters to Catherine all the time. And Grandpa was intercepting them. And... Not letting her receive the correspondence. So... Little Michael gets pissed off at his, at his grandpa now. And decides that he really wants to be with his dad. So he steals a pickup and drives himself. So he, so I guess, yeah, <laughs> Michael can't be 10 years old. Yeah, he's got to be a little bit older. Maybe he's 14. I don't know. I don't care. But he drives the pickup all the way to Las Vegas to reunite with his dad. And this is the point in the movie where it goes all out into a full-on sports movie and Lincoln Hawk you know the rest of the film is about Lincoln Hawk Lincoln Hawk uh, entering this tournament and trying to win a new rig and a whole bunch of money and the grandpa comes in in the middle of it all and tries to offer Lincoln Hawk an even better rig and even more money than the than the Vegas competition is going to give him But he refuses because he just wants to win his new truck and have Hawk Transport Company and live the rest of his life driving around with his son or something like that. So yeah, 1987, exciting eventful year for the trucking industry and for the arm wrestling industry as well. Now, I'm sure at least everyone in Canada, I mean the story has made international headlines at this point um, has been thinking lots people have been thinking lots and talking lots about um, about trucks and truckers and I thought I would talk a little bit about I, I mean like I, I know very little about the trucking industry I mean, We've all learned a tiny little bit, bit about um, global supply chains and how stretched they are and how fragile they are. And truckers are an important part in this network of supplying the world with goods. So yeah the fact that all these trucking related news stories are coming out it's uh it's i guess it makes sense in in some capacity um the first story that caught my eye this 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 came out i'm gonna highlight a few a couple of like little story or little stories before getting to like the big story and which i'm sure everybody can guess what the bigger story is um but the first like trucking related story I saw uh, recently. Uh, well, it's not the first. I think I've seen tons in the last couple of months since November. There've been many, uh, but one that stood out that I that I thought was fascinating uh, is a story uh, from New Brunswick concerning Leah Gorham, Gorham. Leah Gorham, a newly trained truck driver. She, her, she's 42 years old, just, just got behind an 18-wheeler in the last month or so, and is um, looking forward to the trucker life. Leah um, had been a nurse for about 12 years. She had worked in neurosurgery and general surgery as a licensed practical nurse for about 12 years and in, in New Brunswick. And following the, the stress of the pandemic on uh, public health workers, on, on, on health workers, uh, health services staff. Um, Following all that stress and, like, a recent bad incident that happened to her personally, where a patient became violent, she decided to give up the nursing life and trade it for for a new career, driving a rig across North America, I guess. Uh, The story follows her... Um I'll put I'll post a link to it. Uh, it's kind of cute. I feel like seeing the few photos is like, all right, yeah, and, you know, she's not your <laughs> um, your typical truck driver, I guess. Uh, and yeah, there's some photos of her uh, in her rig, and they caught her going to South Carolina on uh, route to Indiana and anyway, so this is her new life, just driving around. And one thing that I found out is that it costs like $10,000 to become a trucker. Uh, I mean, like the training course to drive these huge rigs, it's about $10,000. That seems like a lot of money to pay out of pocket. Uh, But, you know, for her, it's also like, it's not just a, what we would now say mental health decision, but also like a financial decision, right? It seems like... It's going to be easier to drive giant trucks around. I would be scared. But I I haven't done this $10,000 12-week course. So, of course, I would be scared. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I like driving all that much. At times, I do. At times, I don't. Maybe if I did it more often, I would be more cool with it. But because I do it so sporadically, it's just like, eh, sometimes it makes me nervous, sometimes it doesn't. I don't know. I can't predict it. Anyway, enough about my comfort level. Um, one of the most interesting things that comes out of the article on the CBC uh, regarding Leah uh, is that uh, the short- the shortage of nurses, according to this article, according to the reporting, is, that we are currently facing, that the hospitals and clinics are facing and other uh, health services, places where of, of care, are facing is not due to a lack of properly trained nurses, of which there seems to be, uh, if not an abundant amount, at least a sufficient amount, uh, graduating every year to fulfill, to fill current posts, it seems to be like an issue of retention. Um, People are choosing other jobs. Nurses are choosing other jobs because they'll pay better or about the same with a lot less stress. Um, If the pandemic has shown us anything, it's that... (laughs) uh if we were ill prepared at the start we are still ill prepared two years in um (laughs) so yeah that was uh, that's a trucking story Uh, that's the story of leah trading the nursing life for the trucking life now uh, about january towards the end of january I got it here it says January 22nd uh there was a big protest by truckers in BC and this protest didn't get very much coverage there was a lot of confusion because there was another protest starting around the same time and there was a large number of truckers protesting and this was fully approved by the Canadian Trucking Association they were protesting road conditions in BC. So a convoy of trucks uh, drove from Surrey to Vancouver protesting uh, road conditions. We know BC had very terrible weather. I mean, like, they, we set a record for like. Oh, BC set records for like lowest and highest temperatures. Doesn't it? Anyway, highest temperatures definitely last summer. Lowest temperatures. I think. Anyway, there were just massive ice storms. There were floods. There was lots of like different weather events um, that created um, many, many problems for the province. And road conditions were bad. And this uh, a large number of truckers decided to like hold a protest, uh, and they did. And, unfortunately, it wasn't very much reported, but it did it. Um, I suspect it got a lot more coverage locally in BC than it did out here in Quebec. Another trucking protest that happened, and I only heard about this one tangent. Tang- I, I, I mean, I didn't really follow it up too much, um, was a protest in the United States. Uh, Back in November of 2021, there was um, a blockade, sort of, of... There there were, like, many truckers refusing to deliver goods to Colorado because the Colorado uh, courts were sentencing a driver, a trucker, um, whose truck malfunction and he ended up unintentionally killing, I can't remember how many people, uh, in an accident. Uh, The the courts sentenced him to 110 years in jail for unintentional manslaughter, right? So the druggers were livid uh, and they they protested uh, that one of their own was, sent, was given so harsh punishment um, instead of uh, putting more responsibility on the trucking companies that give them un- don't provide them with uh, safe enough equipment. I mean, like, as I said, it was an equipment uh, failure that, that contributed significantly to this accident and the truckers wanted the responsibility to be more on the companies to have the companies uh, be required to provide um, safer working conditions now so yeah so as you can see like multiple trucks 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 and we're still talking about trucks in february 2022 2022. Um, Yeah, with the big convoy. (laughs) The so-called freedom convoy that has gathered in Ottawa and it's now making itself heard in Quebec City and in Toronto. And, well, (laughs) I I feel I, I was very much resisting paying attention to this story for a while because to me like right from the start it feels it felt like like, so much media propaganda does Um, that there was an exaggeration of the risk you know that uh, Lots of people, and I feel like this is this was the media line, in at, at times. For you know, and I'm telling talking from the point of view of somebody who follows the news, but like was kind of resisting looking at this story too closely, because I just I felt infuriating. It's just infuriating is too strong a word. Just annoying, you know. In the same way, <laughs> maybe infuriating is the right word. I the media like really loves these fear-mongering stories. I mean like I talked about that in relationship to Omicron when it first emerged at the end of November early December, you know, like by that time 2021, those stories were were picking up steam and were really when when little very little was known about the variant except that the WHO had deemed it a variant of concern. So, I'm hesitant to pay attention to, to to these stories where I get a sense that the media fear-mongering is a bigger story than what's actually happening on the ground. And, you know, it's it's... It's the same way that I feel about the whole Russia is about to invade Ukraine story, which feels like so much political and media fanfare that seems kind of decoupled with uh, the reality on the ground. And I say that, you know, not... i i I'm not a Ukraine expert. I am not you know an expert on Russian geopolitics. i'm'm I'm, I'm, yeah, what am I an expert in? Mm-hmm. Not much. but <laughs> but I can see some patterns, you know i I see patterns happening. Uh, I remember the run-up to the Iraq war. Being filled with lies by politicians that, that were unquestioned, uh, the run up to uh, the invasion of Libya, which again, lots of lies, lots unquestioned. Um, this is military excursions. Whenever there's there's a, there's a military excursion proposed by the United States and its allies, generally skepticism about the claims being made by the imperialist powers is my go-to position um i'm not <laughs> i feel like the, the threat of russia has been grossly exaggerated the last five or six years um <laughs> they they they, they Really seem, and, and you know, in the same way that Iran and China and other nations and others, you know, regional powers are generally protectionist, rather, they're imperialist, as the way that the United States and Europe, in uh, large parts of Europe, are in uh, Canada. So, yeah. It's, <sighs> the situation around well the the media fanfare around ukraine just about you know being in imminent risk of uh russian invasion seemed like to come out of nowhere and seemed like a distraction from like the bad at home situation which has happened many times in the united states history uh you know, things are bad at home. Let's go invade a foreign nation. Um, and, yeah, this is like... Should, <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody's asking, like, should the U.S. be interfering in these conflicts abroad, really far away, at Russia's border? You know, should the U.S. be fom- fomenting uh, these conflicts? uh well i mean like if those questions were asked the answer would probably be no (laughs) most of the time but you know unless you but but the the there's this desire there's this belief that you know the america and its allies can only be the good guys uh so there therefore uh we must not question their imperialist ambitions uh (laughs) And, and, I mean, like, Canada is right right in there, right in there helping, uh, trying to help the Ukraine avoid an, an invasion that the president of Ukraine says is, that there's no risk. <laughs> um, <laughs> the president of Ukraine himself says that there's no imminent russian invasion and the u.s should stop fomenting fear (sighs) canada's right in there already Uh, you know giving multi-million dollar loans to the to ukraine and (laughs) proposing to uh, to build a small arms factory in Ukraine with Canadian money, I guess. Um, recently, uh, this was a story that came out. Anyway, it's a story that's come out multiple times in the last, like, seven or eight years. The fact that they are... And it's really well documented that they are neo-Nazi militias um, that are part of the Ukraine military. The Azov Battalion, uh, notably. They use, like, swastikas, Nazi insignia, insignia on their uniforms. Uh... Canadian Armed Forces have been photographed with these groups, training these groups. Um, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, what, what, what the fuck are we doing there? What? Oh, uh, anyway, so there's that going on. There's the fear mongering around that going on, and then the fear mongering about the truck the so-called the super well-funded freedom convoy which you know initially i, I was i was naive i was like yeah they're, they're right wing i didn't know but eventually yeah it comes out they're, or you know i become a, a bit better informed i'm not super informed a little bit better informed uh that the funding is coming uh, or at least the organizing, it's coming from far right groups, some of them, uh, most notably the, the, what you call it, the Mafric Party in Alberta, a far right party that's, um, <laughs> I don't know what, they, they, they want Alberta to secede from uh, Canada to become its own, I don't know if they want it to become its own country or to join the United States doesn't matter they're they're a separatist group um, <laughs> but and pff, it sounds like they got a ton of money and they're well organized uh, and there are you know as, as that tr- as the convoy moves along over the during the last week of January on its way to Ottawa and the media is going crazy and politicians are of all stripes are trying to score points by denouncing, or, or, <laughs> as in Aaron O'Toole's case, uh, meeting with some of them, showing that there, you know, there are some good people here. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah, whatever. I, uh, <laughs> uh, seems to have backfired on him. He was ousted as leader of the progress- Progressive Conservative. Oh, not Progressive, um, the Canadian Conservative Party. Uh, not, yeah, they removed comp- Progressive out of, out, of, out of their name a long time ago. Um, the Conservative Party, uh, they've got a new leader, uh, Candace Bergen. Um, interim leader, I guess, for now. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's trying to score points of these trucks and the media is going nuts trying to score ratings of these convoys um, which I think really kind of like helped them grow enormously they got so much media attention I feel like if you ignored them <laughs> which I think at least initially I think think, if not, in I don't mean like, you know, don't pay attention to them completely, but I feel like give them proportional attention to what they're doing instead of like this 24-7 coverage um, of every step of the voyage. And, you know, and like <laughs> trying to get a clip of the hate, of how hateful they are and how I mean, like, these people distrust the media already, right? Uh, and, you know, like... <laughs> <sighs> anyway, the label white supremacist comes in. Uh, in, in a way that, you know, all, all the excursions and associations with Ukraine, somehow that doesn't bring it up, even though there's, like, obviously, like, neo-Nazis battalions in the Ukrainian army and other mele- elements of Ukrainian society as well. The oligarchy that controls that country. <sighs> I mean, like, you, you have every... <laughs> so meanwhile, while all the politicians are trying to score points off the convoy, they're also trying to score points by endorsing mil- more military funding and potentially military excursions to defeat the red menace that is Russia, even though Russia hasn't been red for like 30 years it's capitalist as fuck Uh, (laughs) the the remnants of the red scare haven't gone away and everybody's just trying to endorse um, Ukraine while turning a blind eye to all this white supremacist shit that's happening there. So, mm. <laughs> you know, for for someone like me who's paying attention to multiple stories at the same time, <laughs> it just uh, you know, who has certain leanings, um, <laughs> it all seems pretty fucked up. Uh, you know, denounce and endorse white supremacy in the same breath. It seems. Um, and then, I mean, like, it's easy to take it one step further and to be like, well, the Canadian government, we've seen how, 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 how they treat, how the, the police and the Canadian government treat other protesters who are not white, indigenous protesters in particular, get horrendous, uh, responses from the police very aggressive very violent responses from the police instantly and those instances receive a lot less media coverage than this truck convoy uh, which is also receiving a lot less of a severe police intervention um and so so you you have <laughs> You have this melange of white supremacies, uh, white (laughs) supremacy swirling around all this, you know, in competition and support of each other. I mean, like, I get the sense that the media is doing it for the ratings. They love it. Uh, and nobody's going to bash their head the media's head for uh for, for 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 reporting negatively on this convoy um whereas say the protest in BC at Fairy Creek last fall summer um you know, the media was like a lot less keen to go there and report. because, and I'm, But you could see, I guess maybe part of it is just like, um, the independent, independent journalists that were there were harassed and attacked at times, brutalized um, by the RCMP, not by the protesters. So, I guess the media is, you know, eating up this story because they're allowed to. Is that it? Um, <laughs> uh, didn't yeah. Anyway, it's just it's. I I posted jokingly, uh, on Facebook a while ago. A while ago, I hardly use that anymore. Um, that I would no longer u- be using the term white supremacist, white supremacy, because I feel like um, it's mostly white people using the term now, so it's kind of meaningless. Um, so I'm just gonna like set it out and wait for like the next development in the nomenclature. Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> I'm being, oh, yeah, yeah, being me. But it's also, like, uh, you could call these things by different names, you know, like it's settler-colonialist uh, agenda that Canada has, is being protested by this other settler-colonialist cl- agenda What the truckers have, uh-huh. <laughs> while we are also endorsing another settler-colonialist agenda. Um uh, you know, in well, <laughs> <sighs> it's complicated and and not at the same time, um, I feel like what's well, what's striking about it, or you know what's uh, newsworthy about it and and yeah, you see people like losing their shit and and for 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 the most part, so there have been there have been some violent incidents perpetrated by the the the, uh, the truck convoy people, the freedom convoy, the so-called freedom convoy people. Um, for the most part, it seems like civil disobedience, um, non-violent civil disobedience, has been has been what they what they've been doing. I was I was shocked to see the CBC uh, blurring out. And, and I, when I first saw that news report, I was like, what's going on? Why are they blurring out those flags? And it turned out to be confederate flags. It's like, wait, what? Like, if I can't see that some of those people have confederate flags, like, how the fuck am I supposed to, like, know what's going on there? Why the, f- why can't I, if, you know, it's a news report. <laughs> Show me what's happening, you know? Like, if anything is going to convince me that, you know, there's, white supremacist elements in that protest, it's going to be seeing Confederate flags. You know, that's like a clear, clear signal. <laughs> Why are they blurring it out? It's like, what kind of snowflakes are we, are, are they taking me for, you know? Uh, coincidentally, <laughs> detour, total detour. Uh, the Montreal soccer team changed their name recently. Maybe I've mentioned this before on the podcast. And their logo totally looks like a snowflake. <laughs> I think they're just called like the Montreal Soccer Association, Montreal Football Association, or something like that. Something simple like that. There's no like formal name to, to the team, but their logo looks like they're snowflakes. Like, <laughs> I hope that catches on soon. and Everybody calls them the snowflakes. Um, it's a funny way because they're the ones who make the. Who made the logo for them so anyway, whatever. Going back to the convoy, the freedom convoy. Um, there's there's another kind of like wart thing and that's happening around it, and it's this this uh, this, this fatiguing um, dichotomy that that things get thrown into um and especially well i didn't get to what the what the convoy was was supposedly protesting you know like um the freedom convoy is supposed to be a you know anti vaccine mandates and anti uh, pandemic um uh interventions lockdowns closures all that stuff uh they want freedom you know they want to like, go back to December 2019, I guess, um, <laughs> or maybe a bit earlier so that COVID is not there. I don't know, the before times, as some say. Um, and it's funny and weird and kind of like disheartening how being opposed to vaccine mandates has become associated with being right wing when it's not. Um, (laughs) uh, there's many civil liberties groups, there's many, um, uh, freedom, uh, what what do I want to say? Anyway, there are many people who are not associated with the right or the far right or even the center, you know, with your other... Extremes of the political. I hate using left and right Anyway, and that's what I'm getting to There's other people there's people like me who are opposed to vaccine mandates as well Um, (laughs) Not for this, you know, and it's not for like the the This, I don't know if it's for the same reasons as the truckers like anyway, I feel like maybe they they they're they just don't like The the restrictions on international travel um, But I feel like uh, With the knowledge of the vaccines uh, What is known about the vaccines and everything? no knowing how recent this technology is uh, I feel like I don't begrudge anybody who is skeptical about this new product. I don't hate people that haven't taken the vaccine. I, uh, You know, I, I, don't, I don't think that they're the reason why we're in this mess. I don't throw my blame on people who have not received the vaccine. Uh, we <sighs> and I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And th- you know, I'm I'm not like some fringe person here. You know that that has this idea. Jeremy Corbyn, you know, well-known leftist, has come out against vaccine mandates. Yanis Varoufakis, famous Greek. Economist, very loved on the, on the left, has also come out against vaccine mandates. The WHO, for all its flaws, has also not recommended vaccine mandates. You know, less than, as like a very last resort. Countries. (laughs) I'm, I'm not saying I'm on the same intellectual level as like, Corbyn and Varoufakis, Uh, (laughs) far from it. (laughs) Uh, But I'm just saying, you know, I'm just citing them as examples of people who are not part of the far right, who don't agree with vaccine mandates as a as part of the solution to getting out of this pandemic. Um, I'm also against vaccine passports. I've made that clear. A number of times on the podcast. That's also what the truck, you know, part of what the truckers are are opposed to. And I mean, like that's that's really for me. Like it's not about my freedom, Uh, but it's just like logistically, it just doesn't make any sense uh, to track everyone unnecessarily when. transmission is happening uh, in large, in huge numbers amongst the vaccinated. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, this is, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, You're not preventing any, I mean like, you're not preventing any transmissions with your, your vaccine passports. That's all I'm saying. It's it's uh it's you know I'm I'm also plo- opposed to like plexiglass um, it's not doing anything why the fuck are we relying so heavily on these supposed measures that don't do what they what, what we're supposed to believe they do right uh 2 meter distancing indoors I mean, like, if you're unmasked and you're spending your whole day with a group of people you work with, those two meters are doing fuck all. They're not doing anything for you because you're spending all this time in an enclosed space, sharing air with these people. It's an airborne virus, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So... And then, and then, you know, they're, they're, they're clearly diversions. Points <laughs> where I don't see eye to eye with the Freedom Cowboy. Uh, I, I feel like... Uh, <laughs> uh, good... Um, public health interventions. Uh, I would love to see some. I feel like I would love for this province, this country to not have such restricted access to testing, uh, which, is, you know, Canada is like one of the poorest, uh, has one of the lowest rates per capita rates of testing among rich nations. And this has been the case for the last two years. It's not something new. You know, like our testing system was so crap, it collapsed. Uh, a month and a half ago I wish that was better you know I feel like a negative test is more valuable than a vaccine passport and uh, so I'm not opposed to health measures <laughs> I just wish there were, you know effective health measures <laughs> were in place the dumb ass shit that we're forced to live through is not doing very much um, You know, it's not limiting transmission. And if you don't limit transmission, you have... (sighs) Anyway, everybody knows what that does. We're living right through it, right? (laughs) Cases rise, hospitalizations rise, deaths rise. The effectiveness declines because new variants emerge when there's a large, large number of infections. And as we've seen with Omicron, its immune evasive maneuvers outperform the original Wuhan strain and other, you know, Alpha and Beta and Gamma. Delta already had some immune evasiveness uh, against previous infections and vaccines, and Omicron came out, and it was like, well, I can do that, but better. Uh, I feel like the opposition to vaccine mandates too. It's it's a practical one. Um, I don't think people should be losing their jobs because they're not vaccinated in the middle of this pandemic when there's so little in terms of social economic support from the governments i mean like initially they started you know with the serb which was great but then like the employment insurance system totally crapped out and it was like difficult it took weeks sometimes months to to get some money out of that <sighs> you see in other countries That they, you know, the government, you know, when you have to isolate, will deliver food. The government will deliver food for you. Simple things, you know. Anyway. I am pro-public health interventions that are effective. Just wanted to get that out there. Uh, And it's a shame, yeah, that, you know, the opposing ineffective public health interventions such as vaccine passports, which clearly did not stop transmission, <laughs> uh, is now seen as as a far right cause, as opposed to a genuine critique of government's response to to the global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like instead of vaccine mandates uh, a lot more efficient method of getting more people vaccinated would be to help the world receive the whole world. Not just Canada, not just rich countries. Um, The whole world receive vaccines. Yeah, anyway. I actually tried watching Over the Top. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just, you know, I just wanted to find some clips of it, because I, I wanted to... I didn't watch the whole movie recently. <laughs> I just read the synopsis on Wikipedia, and just, and whatever description I gave you, most of that came from that synopsis in Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, but I did watch like 20 minutes of the movie. I just typed in Over the Top. I wanted to find a clip of it. Just to give get some reminders of what it was like. And I, I was like, oh f- damn, the whole movie, the, the whole movie's online. For free. I can watch it. And it turned out to be on some well to just to be the German dubbed version of it. <laughs> so I had no idea what was going on, but I watched the full 20 minutes. Uh you know, I and my feeling is that if a movie is really awesome and good and worth watching, uh, it doesn't matter if you don't understand the dialogue at all, because Sylvester Stallone, arm wrestling truck driver, it's such a cool dad. So, it didn't matter that I, <laughs> that I, that I, that I couldn't understand a word. It all made sense to me, because I read the synopsis on Wikipedia. Maybe I'll watch that movie tonight. Uh, maybe I'll find... <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll con- I'll just continue watching the German stream. The gen- yeah. uh, I looked on Netflix, it's not there. I don't know. I-, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe it's on Disney Plus, or Amazon Prime, or one of these other services. Uh, anyway. If you know uh, which you know which platform offers over the top 1987 Red Rig Sylvester Stallone the kid the kid in that film uh, David uh, oh, I forget his last name but 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 he was also uh, the voice actor for one of the little humans in the Transformers TV series. So, you know, there's another truck connection. The leader of the Transformers, Optimus Prime, transforms into a rig, an 18-wheeler. There you go, full circle, every time. <laughs> uh... Yeah, that's that's it, I'm gonna leave it there. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again sometime soon.